It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor. With Rick Roaring, each week we look at uh, sports topics of local interest, some national topics, and maybe even a crazy story or two. It is a big college football weekend ahead, week number one, because we just got through with week zero, where there were a couple of games played. I'm Kentucky still trying to, High School football yeah, here, or what's going on I'm not that? sure I understand that at all whatsoever. We're going to talk to Kyle Tucker, the athletic who covers Kentucky, also is a member of the Locked On Kentucky podcast, and our friend Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal will join us as well to talk UC and UCLA. Rick, take it away. Skinny, leading up to the start of college football, we've been checking in across the region with beat riders at different camps to get a feel for what to expect from the local teams. And we'll wrap up in Lexington, where Kyle Tucker from the Athletic and Locked On Kentucky podcast joins us. Kyle, you look at this UK team, they had such a great year last year. They lose Josh Allen on defense and Benny Snell on offense. We'll put you on the spot to start here. Who is UK's best player on each side of the ball for local fans who may not be in tune with the, the daily happenings of practice to watch for? Yeah, I mean, offensively, it's probably either Terry Wilson or uh, Lynn Bowden. Uh, you know, I'm going to probably go with Lynn Bowden just because I think at his position, he'll be a bigger deal. It's maybe the more important guy is Terry Wilson because he's touching it on every play. Uh, but I think Lynn Bowden will be, you know, positionally around the country, you say he's one of the best, you know, playmaking wide receivers slash return men. Uh, in the country, and uh, I think he's really poised to have a, a monster year for them. He's got almost almost a thousand career receiving yards in two seasons at Kentucky. Last year, he returned five punts total, and two of them went back for touchdowns. Both of those were game breaking plays in, in big games. The Missouri game they won uh, at the end. He kind of turned the tide in that game, and he set the tone in the bowl game against Penn State with a punt return touchdown. I think he, he's going to be the full time guy back there now this year, returning those kicks and punts. Um, and, th- and that only opens up opportunities for him to do more. Uh, you know, he's a guy who played quarterback uh, for the last two or three years in high school. He was one of those best best guy on the team, put him at quarterback situations, and he's transitioned. Um, you know, been transitioning to wide receiver, and I think now he knows how to play the position, so he can become a big big star. On the other side, that's a, that's a maybe a little tougher question to answer uh, because Josh Allen was such a star, and they lost you know, their entire secondary from a year ago, plus some uh, five or six guys of of, uh, of the top six guys are gone. Um, I guess you'd probably assume, uh, well, I guess the face of the defense is Cash Daniel. I don't know that he's their best defensive player, but certainly he's the face and the, the heart and energy of that team. If you've seen him at all, you know that. Um, maybe the best player on their defense uh, is Quentin Bohanna. He's a, a monster in the middle who I think has a chance to be a, a, a real NFL player down the road. Um, so they, but they definitely have some questions. You know, when you lose the all-time leading rusher and the all-time leading sacks guy um, in school history, you've got a lot to replace. Go back to Terry Wilson for a second, Kyle. Um, you know, last year, obviously, Benny Snell was the focal point of the offense, and understandably so, but it felt like as the season wore on, the wraps were put tighter and tighter on, on Terry Wilson. Is he capable, I don't want to say of carrying the offense, but of carrying a bigger load? I think so. Uh, you know, he he went through a lot of transition. He was out of high school. He went to Oregon, spent a year there, redshirted. Then he was in junior college for a season. Uh, and then he comes to Kentucky, and he's the day one starter in the SEC. And it was his first actual, uh, you know, high-level Division One football 
um, and his second, what I think, second game of his career. Uh, thrown into that fire, he has I think what was his best game last season against Florida. Right. He throws a couple touchdowns. You know, has some huge running plays. I, I think just showed a lot of what he could be in that game. And then over the course of the season, I think he was a lot more banged up than people realized. They've talked about that a little bit. He was uh, not not whole most of the season, um, but made still did come you know kind of come alive at some key moments and make some big plays. I, I think. Yes, to answer your question, I think he is ready to handle handle a bigger load. I think the fact that he will have been in the same system under the same coaches for two years now, which he hasn't done since right. high school, uh, is a big deal. Um, I think maybe they'll have some more weapons for him this year. That's that's a question mark, but I do think they'll have some guys they can throw the ball to other than Lynn Bowden. That'll help. Um uh, he one underlooked thing about him is 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 he well, I think completed like sixty seven percent of his passes in year one right uh, which is not bad I, I think when he was at his best you could see him kind of dialing in the deep ball I mean the ball he threw to Lynn Bowden for the the long touchdown against Florida was perfect uh, and I, I think they've got a chance to hit some more of those home runs this year and, and I'd be really surprised if his production's not significantly up is he going to be a star I don't know but I I think he throws the you know, well over 2,000 yards, and he ran for five-something last year. I think they're going to have to be careful with that, but I think uh, you may see his rushing total. He could have a huge year for them, all you know, playing behind what I think will be one of the better offensive lines in the SEC. Yeah, you mentioned the offensive line. Now, despite the loss of Benny Snell, that offensive line should be good. You've talked about Bowden. You've talked about some of these other playmakers. What is the biggest storyline on the offensive side, in your opinion? Well, probably uh, either, you know, who, who is the second receiver? You know, is it one of the tight ends? Justin Rigg is an option. Um, you know, Keaton Upshaw is an option. And they, those are two guys that really look the part. I mean, they are very physically impressive tight ends, uh, and, and they're more pass-oriented pass um, than C.J. Than Conrad, who was a great player for them for four years, but was more of a blocking tight end. Um, I think those guys are all the threat in the passing game. I think they have some young receivers that are coming along. Uh, you know, who will be that second guy is 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 maybe one A and one B with can the can the running back by committee uh, approximate what Benny Snell gave them last year? I don't think I don't think you're going to have as potent of a running game, but they are very high on AJ Rose, who's going to be the the starting running back. He's kind of waited in the wings, had about 500 yards last year. Um, I think he's good. I think very good. I don't think he's Benny Snell, but I think he's very good. And then I think they're really high on the young running backs that they have. Uh, Smoke, Rodriguez, they brought in uh, a freshman, Tisdale, who they say ran one of the fastest 40 times they've ever recorded there. I think it was in the four threes. Um, so they have a lot of options. And then that, that question is just, can that group collectively – you know, deliver what Benny Snell did almost by himself last year, last couple of years. Switch to defense. Um, obviously, the loss of Josh Allen uh, is a big storyline. Is a bigger storyline though what they got to replace in the secondary because that was a Kentucky doesn't have a group in the secondary like that very often as a collective group. Um, is that bigger or is it just because Josh Allen was such a wrecker that you're just not? It's going to be hard to replace that guy. Yeah, I, I I mean that's a big deal, but I don't think there's any doubt that the the secondary is the bigger concern. Um, 
you know, they, they've gotten, they have a lot of young guys that have gotten reps, um, that are options to, to rush the passer and be disruptive, um, in the way that Josh Allen was. They're not going to match that, obviously, but, um, but the secondary was just completely eviscerated. I think five, I think five guys yes. from that, uh, secondary, um, either were drafted or signed contracts. That's right. Yes, correct. Uh, they had, there was three of them uh, in a picture together the other night with the Texans and I forget who played each other, but they were uh, on an NFL field together. You can't, I don't think that can be understated. They really built up the, the secondary that they had last year. And that secondary was disappointing, you know, at times in earlier parts of their career that the big chunk of those guys were together uh, for years. And so they kind of worked their way up to, um, to what we saw last year, and now all of them are gone. You know, Darius West is gone. Mike Edwards is gone. Lonnie Johnson, who wasn't there as long as some of the rest of them because he was a junior college guy, but gave him two good years, he's gone. Derek Beatty, gone. And many of those guys were three- and four-year starters. Um, and, you know, then they then they coming into the preseason, the guy that they thought they could count on most coming back, Devontae Robinson, a local kid, uh, a highly recruited guy who played a bunch last year gets hurt, um, and so now basically your your top six defensive backs are all gone, um, and really nobody that's going to be playing this year has hardly any experience or not or no experience. Uh, to assume that you're not going to miss a beat with that, I think is foolish. I think I think that's a huge loss. And early on in the season, they could you know some teams could really expose them if if somebody gets hot in the passing game or has a, a, a real threat in that regard, I think can really test Kentucky. It, it will be important that somebody uh, step up in Josh Allen's place because I think their their main hope is to uh, to get to the quarterback and make those throws hurried because once the ball gets in the air, you don't really know what's going to happen in that secondary. I want to ask you about one other guy on defense, and it's an interesting story, is Josh Paschal, who uh, didn't return until late last year, had the cancer scare, all of that, and, and has worked his way it looks like back into a starting role. I, I heard Mark Stoops a little bit on his show on Monday talk just effusively about um, just how inspiring he has been to, to not only come back, but to kind of reshape his body and all that. What does it mean to, to get him back maybe full go? What's it mean just to for, for him personally to make it kind of all the way back like this? Well, it's, it's an awesome story, and uh, it, it's a, a remarkable story. He was – you know they were they were very worried about him. Forget football; they were they were worried about his health. And uh, for him to for him to come all the way back is is huge for him. But I, I would say it's enormous for Kentucky because he was a guy I think, if not the top one of the top two or three rated guys in his recruiting class coming in uh, to Kentucky among among the guys they signed that year. Uh, I remember going to an open practice when he was a true freshman. I think his very first one, and he looked like a dude who, you know, walked out of Alabama's locker room, you know, day one and, uh, you know, made an impact as a freshman. They were really, really excited about what he was going to do last year before that uh, cancer situation popped up. And, and uh, I think they're hopeful again that he'll, you know, be something like that again. He, he physically has all the tools. He's, uh, you know, was a four-star kid, an elite uh, player nationally. And if he can – if he can be 90% of that, 85% of that, uh, given how much they need to replace, uh, I think they'd be thrilled. 
Kyle, we'll put you on the spot one last time here. Vegas has the Wildcats projected to win six and a half games. Do you think they can get it done? Do you do you think they win seven or more? Or do you got them? Are you going to take the under here? No, I think they get it done. I, I just uh, I think you look at the schedule and it's it, it would be hard not to get to five in your sleep, you know, and and probably six. Uh, they've got uh, Arkansas. You know, they go from having at Texas A&M as their cross-divisional game a year ago to, to home against Arkansas coming off a two-win season. Um, I think you feel pretty good about that. Louisville, you know, you go from blowing them out at home last year to, I mean, so on the road last year to getting them at home uh, this year. They're coming off a two-win season with a new coach. You should win that game. You should obviously win Toledo and Eastern Michigan and Tennessee Martin. So there's five. To me, that there are five wins before the season starts, or else something's gone horribly wrong. Uh, I think at Vanderbilt, you'd rather that not be on the road. But Vanderbilt, they've uh, pretty well dominated. I think they feel good about that. Um, and then when you look at Missouri at home, they've won four in a row against Missouri. At South Carolina, I mean, again, you'd rather not be on the road. But you, Kentucky, is now owns South Carolina five in a row. And I, is there any reason to think South Carolina is dramatically better than a year ago? Um, so to me, with that group of teams, I, I can I can easily I, I can gar- almost guarantee you five wins. I, I can pretty easily find six, and then seven's not not hard to get to. You know, I, I think an eight win season, even with all they lost, is not um, totally unreasonable for Kentucky. But I, I think seven is a safe, a fairly safe bet on this group. He is Kyle Tucker from The Athletic and the Locked On Kentucky podcast. He's also an excellent follow on Twitter. Go find him there. Kyle, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. Yeah, I, I will say, I, I do think that six is a number to get to, Rick. It's a matter of, do you, do you think seven is safe? And do you think, If you think eight's safe, then you're going over. If you, if you think you can get to six, I think he's right. I think that's probably safe. He he had me turn a little bit because when we talked about this a few weeks ago, we did our over under yep. a little bit early yep. win total wise. I had UK at six, right at six. I, I took the under, but he's right. I mean, you're almost guaranteed those six. It feels like with this schedule, so it's tempting to take one more. But at the same time, I'll go back to what I said when we talked about it. There's no reason to think this Kentucky defense lives up to the hype or makes up for what they lost last year and returns just as strong. So I do think they are going to take a step back this year. And and giving Kentucky football the benefit of the doubt has never been a good idea in the past. Great stuff from Kyle Tucker. And now we welcome in our friend Chad Breno from Bearcat Journal as uh, UC gets set to take on UCLA. And I don't want to be overdramatic with this, but from an opening game standpoint, is this the biggest in since when? Uh, probably some point in time during the Butch Jones era, it all kind of runs together now. Um, I guess Miami of Florida was a pretty big game when they came in here, but Tuberville was kind of sliding at that point, right. even though they, they, they won the game. Um, but the biggest, at least since probably before Tuberville got here. Yeah, I, no, no doubt. And, and I guess maybe just because of the expectations are different that we've talked about that, that, uh, you know, coming off the season, they came off of all of those things. Um, and the fact that really those first six games in a, in a vacuum are really, really hard. Not every single one of them, but in their own individual way and certainly collective way are very hard. And that's why this becomes a, a an important game. Well, yeah, I mean, if you lose to, to UCLA, let's be realistic. You're staring down. Oh, and two, if you can't beat UCLA at home, 
the odds of going into Columbus and beating Ohio State are very, very small. They're small to begin with. They're even smaller if you lose to UCLA at home to start the season. And then you still have UCF and Houston on the road. Uh, UCF at home, Houston on the road over those first six games and a trip to Marshall. You could be looking at a, a very disappointing start if you lose this game. And there, there's there's no two ways around it. I, the, the only game I, I, don't, I don't see Miami as a threat. They're replacing a lot from last year, and they're just not very good right now. Um, but every other game, they could potentially lose. So they need to get the season started off with a win. I think it's critical. Jay, you talk about the macro of starting the season off well, but just looking at this game specifically, last year it got started off in such a poor fashion for UC in those opening minutes in that first quarter. What do they have to do differently? This game will get off to a good start if what happens for UC this time around? Well, there is one good good news there. Uh, Hayden Moore will not be the starting quarterback. <laughs> so things should be a little bit more stable. Um, <laughs> he had two series. One of them resulted in a, a ridiculous turnover that, that gave UCLA points. And then Desmond Ritter came in. Um, ultimately, his job in that game was basically – catch the snap and give it to Mike Warren, who had 34 carries. Uh, I think they'll be a little bit more balanced this year. The the one area I think Cincinnati will will try to attack, UCLA, is uh, they've had some injuries and suspensions in their linebacker core. Yeah, Bo Calvert. Cincinnati's, what's that? Yeah, Bo Calvert's done for, I think, what, eight games yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Eight, yeah. So they've had some injuries and suspensions to their linebacker core. Cincinnati's strength are their running backs and their tight ends. Uh, so I think you're going to try to see Mike Denbrock exploit. Let's get the tight ends over the middle. Let's get the backs on, you know, flares and swing passes. And let's see if their linebackers can keep up with us uh, offensively. So I think that's going to be a key. And then obviously running the ball, um, a reworked offensive line. You lost three guys that uh, were very, very good last year. Dino Boyd, Garrett Campbell, and Kyle Trout. So replacing them and, and how that all shakes out, they're going to have to still be able to run the ball and effectively stay in front of the chains against UCLA. That's going to be critical. You talked about backs plural, and, and it was kind of a four-headed monster. It's now chopped to what a maybe a two-headed monster. What's the, what's the latest on Charles McClelland, and, and yeah, how, how much of a factor is that? Tavion Thomas is not going to play. Is there, uh, you, still, you still have Mike Warren. You still have the man. But that looked like a position of, of just great, great depth, and now maybe not so much. I mean, that's the problem with running back rooms, right? Like, you feel like you have great depth, and all of a sudden there's an injury and everything kind of changes. Uh, people do forget, though, that they have uh, they do have another change of pace back. His name's Ryan Montgomery. He's from Franklin High School. He was very highly sought of as a recruit, then he blew out his knee. And he gray-shirted, didn't come in until uh, the bowl practices back at the end of December into January, and then was here for the spring, he took an increased role um, when Tavion Thomas was essentially suspended for a portion of camp. And now with McClellan, who he, uh, Skinny, you'll love this one. The last period of the final day at Camp Higher Ground in a non-contact drill That's incredible. is when Charles McClellan tore his ACL. That's incredible. Didn't go down. Didn't, we were like, when I started getting word that it had happened, I was like, wait a minute, we were there, like, 
he didn't come off the field. There was no trainers looking at him. So yeah, he came into lunch and said, Coach, I, my knee feels a little funny from, from that last drill that we were doing. They took him in, looked at it. They actually thought there was, they feel like there was a chance that that thing had had a partial tear in it for a while. And he, and he just, had played, just played on yeah. it. But they went in and they, they took care of that. Tavion will be, Tavion Thomas should be back here in a week or two. Um, he had a little verbal spat with the coaches and it's like, I tell my nine year old and I, like, like you used to tell your child right before you made her run steps <laughs> in your house. Remember that? Oh yeah. Those were good times. Yes. Uh, you're not going to win. You can yell at me all you want, but in the end you're going to lose that battle. And he lost that battle and got suspended for a portion of camp and he's not available for UCLA, but he'll be back soon enough. Now, You've got Michael Warren, and you've also got Jared Doak, right. who was the starter going into last year before he had a sports hernia that cost him the season. So you've got two very, very capable and competent backs at the top of the roster. Montgomery will back those two guys up. But my guess is it's the Mike Warren and Jared Doak show uh, pretty early and often in the 2019 season. Yeah, and I do think that, that when we talk about depth, it, it shows up as the season progresses um, right. more, more than anything else. I mean, you can get away with Mike Warren getting another 30 carries in this game. You can't give Mike Warren 30 carries for 12 games. So that that's where right. the depth shows up. Let's go to the other side of the, of the ball defensively, uh, where another major injury may factor into things. Talk about that. Yeah, we're, we haven't gotten official word yet, but I... The way things sound, I can't imagine. It, it, it's involving James Wiggins. Uh, he, he tweaked a knee at practice on Monday, is what Fickle told the media Tuesday. You tweak your knee for two to three days before a game. The best, best case scenario, maybe he can come back, you know, at some point this year. But in terms of the UCLA game, I can't, I can't imagine, you know, James Wiggins being out there. And that is a devastating blow to the defense. He's their playmaker. He ended three games with an interception last year. He's looked at as a big-time NFL prospect at safety. To take him out of that back seven is a huge blow. And here's why, Skinny. Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle, the way they have designed this defense, is so that they can stay in their base defense pretty much at all times. The reason they could do that is because James Wiggins is an elite slot corner, basically. So he comes up from the safety position in passing downs. They don't have to change personnel and bring a nickel or a dime package onto the field. He was the best at covering the slot in the entire American Athletic Conference last year. And effective I think in quarterbacks the had like a 38 QB rating throwing at him wow. in the slot. If you take him out of that mix, now you're going to have to start changing packages. Uh, I think Javon Hicks from Colerain will probably be the guy that gets the first crack uh, at going out there and, and replacing Wiggins if he's not available to go. I think Hicks is going to be very good. He had a very strong camp. He is not James Wiggins. So it, it gets really interesting on defense to see how Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle are going to handle it if they don't have the services of James Wiggins at the back end. Yeah, I mean, Chad, you talk about how big of a loss that is. I, I think that's unquestioned. But looking specifically at this game, you know, you've got you've got a quarterback they they saw last year. UCLA was in kind of a, a weird spot with their quarterback situation as well. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson looks like the projected starter. What will they have to do yeah. to keep him in check? Well, it's a it's a Chip Kelly offense, but it, it it's really weird to me because they don't run the blur. 
he's running all the stuff that, that he ran when he was in the NFL. And I, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought when he was at Oregon, I thought the blur was pretty successful. Yeah. Like, I, it, it felt like they were a top five team every season. I thought the blur was pretty good. I don't know why he scrapped that personally. Well, maybe it's, it's dudes versus non-dudes. Could be, but UCLA still has plenty of talent. But that's neither here nor there. Um, they By the end of the season last year, they did start to find some offensive yes. rhythm. Uh, and especially with, with Josh Kelly. Uh, this is a guy, Kelly, who basically didn't play the first three games and still rushed for 1,200 yards, rushed for 1,200 yards in nine games. What that did, if you were, remember the UC game last year, UCLA struggled to even get a first down. Yeah. It was three and out, three and out, three and out a lot of the game. Kelly has allowed them, when he got going, to stay in front of the chains instead of second and nine, third and seven. You're talking second and five, third and two. Um, so if Cincinnati can't stop them uh, in terms of slowing down the running game, it can be much easier for UCLA to move the ball than they moved the ball last year. Actually, James Wiggins or not, I think this is going to be a much higher scoring game than we saw a year ago. Uh, two quarterbacks that are going to be a lot better than they were because both of them, quite frankly, were terrible last year in that season opener uh, in a lot of respects. And some of that was they didn't have any trust from their offensive coordinators. Sure. It was the first time either of them had taken a snap in a college football game. Not really their fault, but that's just how it played out. Um, I don't the receiver situation. They've had a bunch of guys hurt. It's hard to really predict who they're going to have out there at wide receiver, but you're recruiting California. They're, they're going to have plenty of guys that are going to be able to go out there and make a play. The big thing I think for UCLA is stopping the big play. Um, that Chip Kelly offense has always kind of lull you to sleep, and then all of a sudden, bang, you pop a 72-yarder, um, and it changes the, the the momentum of the game. So if they can stop the big play and then slow them down, slow Joshua Kelly down on first and second down, uh, I think defensively Cincinnati will be in a good spot. All right, lastly, put you on the spot. Final score and why? Um, I still think Nippert at night on a Thursday is enough to get Cincinnati over the hump. But, man, it, if James Wiggins is not on the field, it becomes a lot harder to predict the Bearcats. I'm going to go 34-31 Cincinnati. If you if you tell me an hour from now that Wiggins is officially out or unavailable, uh, I might have to call back in before the end of the podcast <laughs> to change my prediction. <laughs> no, it is, it is a big one. But I would say the Bo Calvert loss for UCLA is a big one for them, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's football. You're going to have to deal with losses. It's just with Wiggins, it's really tough to lose a guy of that caliber three days before no the doubt. game because now you're you're really scrambling to get it figured out. Yeah, and especially when you build stuff around him, for sure. Uh, yeah. Ch- Chad, we appreciate it as always. Thanks so much, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. All right, talk to you soon, fellas. Uh, that's our guy, Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com. Good stuff from Chad. By the way, the uh, over there, 58 in that game. So he was over on that total, okay. if you okay. were wondering. Yeah, we'll there, get there to our uh, totals. Yes, we will. Right here. We'll see. You know what? We're going to keep a running tab this year is what we're going to do. Oh, yeah. All right. Gotcha. Here we go. All right, Skinny, let's uh, go ahead and jump into those odds, and we'll start with the UCLA at UC game. You heard Chad's prediction. The spread there is 2.5. UC is the favorites. The total is 58, as I just said. Where are you at on it? I, I like Chad's score. I'm, I'm almost with him. 34-31 UC sounds about right. If, it, if James Wigg- Wiggins was playing, I would have said 34-27. 
I still might have gone 34. I think he makes a difference, but I, I I'm gonna, I'm going 30. I don't care who plays. I'm gonna, you know, I don't care who plays on either. 34, 31 just feels right to me. So you're you just riding, riding. I'm riding Chad. Chad. I'm riding right. Chad on that. You one. know what? I'm going 34, 27. I think I'm going to stick with that number. I I like what he said about this game being higher scoring than last yeah. year's because I think you could get confused if you go back and look at kind of what happened last year. You could be real confused about how this game's going to play out. Right, but both of those teams evolved big time offensively after that, and they evolved very quickly after that. So and it's, it started with the quarterback spot and Chip Kelly figuring some things out in year one. It, at UCLA, these yeah, these are two totally different, teams. totally different teams, and I think more productive offensive teams. And UC was very productive offensively last year, so we all went with UC and the over. Even even with your prediction, you're just slightly over. But yep. we all went UC I, and the over. I, this spread is a little closer than I would have expected it to be. I thought UC would be it, they opened up at four, and that's more where I would expect it. I'm yes. surprised it's gotten bet down. Yeah, I mean, but basically that's a pick 'em game that you get the three points for home field. So yep. you're you're kind of in that range. Yep. But we all go UC and we all go the over. All right, Toledo at Kentucky. The spread there is eleven and a half. The Wildcats are favorites. The total is sixty two. I'm going under, um, even though Kentucky has a lot, as as Kyle mentioned. They, I mean, to me, the secondary is a huge, huge concern. I, look, I'm a Kentucky football follower for five decades, my man. I, I'm That's one of the only things. In fact, it's the only sport I root for is Kentucky football. I have no other rooting interest this is true, outside of that. That's my, that's my one rooting interest. I've not seen a secondary as good as that secondary Kentucky in my lifetime, not even close. And you had, and it, it approved itself out by what he said. I mean, you had Lonnie Johnson drafted in the second round. You had Mike Edwards drafted. You had, you just had a bunch of dudes, man. You've got, you got really good players on that side of the ball. And then on top of it, Josh Allen well, being gone. And that's part of what <laughs> I think made them so good, too, is you always had to be worried about Josh Allen getting in the back and disrupting everything Correct. you were trying to do. Correct. So I'm still going under, though, because I, I think uh, I think Toledo's going to want to run the football. They actually have a running back who's a transfer from Kentucky, so that's an interesting twist, too, to let him in rushing last year. Um, I'll go Kentucky 31-21. So... Toledo covers for me, and that's a weird one. 31-21 Kentucky. Toledo with the cover, and it goes under. All right. I think I'm going to go 42-14. So they will get over. <laughs> yeah. Or no, they won't. No, you're I'm, you're I'm under. under. You're still I'm under. under. I'm at 56 there. So I'm still under. You just think this is SEC Mac mismatch, right? Yeah. I mean, pro- you're probably right. I, I, Kentucky will win this game by about as much as they want to, but I do think Toledo will move the ball a little bit more. Yeah. I think what you said is correct, but you won't see it reflect in the score. Really yeah, maybe not, because teams like that always seem to turn it over at the weirdest times. I, I am interested in this Kentucky offense, though. I, I think uh, Benny Snell was great. I love Benny Snell. But they're still really talented. I think they're still really talented. And the and offensive I, line is going to be even better, I think. And I think you. I think they found out how good of a, a weapon Lynn Bowden is. I think A.J. Rose has a chance to be a really good running back. I don't think he's going to make you forget Benny Snell, but he's different. He's actually probably more of a home run hitter than, than Benny Snell is. All right, we're going to end my score. 38-21. So Kentucky covers, but it still does not go over. And, and that's where I'm saying that's where it won't show up. You know, like, yes, it's not Benny Snell, but UK still has plenty of talent compared to Toledo. Yeah, no, that, you know that, I mean? that, and that's right. That's right. All right, moving on. We've got Joey Freshwater in Florida Atlantic at Ohio State. The Buckeyes are favored by twenty-seven and a half. The total is sixty-three. I think. I think even I, I, Justin Fields is going to be interesting. And when we talk with Doug Lamoureux, I, I still, I'm, st- I still have questions about him as a thrower. I just do. I need to see it. There's also the potential he is just off the charts, that he's a 100-yard runner and a 250-yard passer, and you can't stop that cat, and you can't stop this offense, and J.K. Dobbins is still really good in the backfield, and they still have guys on the outside. They're still really good. How much more confident 
uh, in Justin Fields would you be if Urban Meyer was the head coach right now? That's a great question. Um, I, I still would have the same trepidation just because I, I haven't seen enough. But he's also a highly regarded recruit. He also went up there and won a quarterback battle. Now, he won it against a guy who was a backup at Kentucky who thought he was going to go up there and win the quarterback job, Gunnar Hoke. That wasn't going to happen. So um, I, I'm going to lean towards he's he's going he's, he's gonna to get off to a – this is a great – place to start for him that it's an opponent that he can handle they can handle it's a big confidence booster I think I think all those things together I think Ohio State flirts with the 63 by themselves I'll go Buckeyes I'll go by Buckeyes 56 to 10 so I'll go Ohio State in the over yeah, I'll go fifty six twenty one. I think you're you're way underselling Joey Freshwater in the big games. He always shows up. Games, yeah, he always shows yeah. up, makes a splash in that like first quarter. It'll be like a I got seven seven game. There. Joey Freshwater, big splash. I yeah, got, I got, I got yep. what you did there. I think within the first quarter, it'll be like tied up, and everyone will be talking and, and tweeting, and, and people will be tuning into this game. And then you know by halftime, it'll be a complete blowout. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that one. The final game on this list, we've got Miami. The Red Hawks are at Iowa. They are the underdogs by 22 points. The total there, 48 and a half. What do you got? I know so little of Iowa, it's hard to speak to. Um, I, I want to believe that Chuck Martin has gotten better recruits over the years, but I don't think they're still close to being good enough to compete toe-to-toe with a Big Ten team. Um, this has got 31-7-ish, 31-10-ish. So we're flirting. If the 10 that, that, that has a Miami covering, I just... I'm having a hard time seeing it. I, I want it to happen. I'll, I'll go 31-7 Iowa. Iowa with the cover and the under. This prediction is for my boy Jed Demusi. I'll take Iowa to win 72 oh to goodness. nothing. Oh, my heavens. You're going to make him go off the rails on that. You cannot I, mean that. I mean it. We're keeping score of these. Write I know. Your, write your picks down. I'm writing mine down you as know, we go. You know what? You can put me down for Miami getting beat and failing to cover every single game this year, and I bet you I will beat you on Miami games. I bet you you won't. Okay. It usually evens itself out. So okay. don't forget. I mean, there's there's a reason those things happen. Let me, let me steal the pen back from you. Okay. And you can write your ridiculous 72 to nothing. I'll go 31-7 final score. Um, new quarterback um, in, in for, for Miami. And I think that factors in on the road, all those things. And I just – Iowa always seems to start slowly, too. They, they – Play if, the Northern Iowa's of the world in the openers, and they don't look very good. I mean, what's it's, the, enu- it's enough. It's what's the over-under on people watching Miami, Ohio, Iowa? I don't think anyone watches either of those football teams. I'll watch. I'll watch. Why? I love guy. I, I can watch just about any college football game. I watched a little bit of, of Colgate-Villanova last Saturday just because it was on. Okay, so you, Jed, and 13 other people that's we watched so about, right. the over-under is about 15? That's probably right. On that yeah, game? That's probably right. Okay. No, I'll, I'll give you that. 15 and a half is the Nielsen that, over-under. E, is that ESPN Plus airing that? Plus, or? plus. I think it's plus three. Okay. I think it's on the Ocho. They're on the Ocho. They're on the Ocho for sure, without, <laughs> without question. Well, exciting Exciting to get the season started yep. off with some pick em. We will do this every week, of course, with not only college games, but also NFL games and Bengals when they get uh, into full swing. So uh, always, always good to be back there. Yes, it is. All right, Skinny. Switching gears now, the Bengals. Coach Zach Taylor made some waves at the beginning of the week when he announced the team starters for week one. Among the notables, veteran Trey Hopkins earned the starting spot at center over Billy Price, even though Hopkins has only made six NFL starts at the position. Rookie fourth-round pick Michael Jordan won the left guard spot in a battle with veteran John Jerry, and undrafted rookie wide receiver Damian Willis will be starting at the X receiver position. Which of those moves stands out the most to you? 
I guess I, I think everybody would think it's Trey Hopkins because Billy was a first round draft pick last year, but it just kind of felt like Trey was trending in that direction. It wouldn't surprise me either way they went there. So I know a lot of people were shocked at that. I, I really wasn't. Of course, it, Trey I, got his starts last year yeah, at but center. When, when, when Billy, yeah, when, when Billy got hurt. Yeah, yeah I, I think Damian Willis. I mean, to go from undrafted rookie free agent to starting wide receiver over some veteran guys. I mean, not veteran guys that have done a whole lot in their career. I mean, Cody Core, Josh Malone, guys like that. But, I mean, to go from that to start, I, I, it's funny. It was I, I asked Damian after the game Thursday, and so did, uh, I think, Paul Dana Jr. And we asked him separately. We, we went to his locker separately, and we talked about it afterwards. And we kind of laughed about it because I said, I said, yeah, man, I asked him if he'd done enough to make the team. And he's like, man, I don't want to jinx it. I, I'm not saying anything. I ain't answering that question. Paul started laughing. He goes, said the same thing to me. He said he was scared that I even asked the question. Um, Worried and, about making the 53. Yes, correct. And he's, and he's starting. And so that was the funny part. The way Zach Taylor answered the question about Damian Willis on Sunday was, he's not going to play in the fourth preseason game because he's going to start. Wait, what? <laughs> I, he's To me, he's, he's the thing about guys like this and you've seen it with covering college back. Occasionally a freshman comes in, makes a big splash for a week, and then it's the consistency thing. They You're just right. aren't consistent. So guys like this come in, you know, like Auden Tate last year. Came in, was kind of the highlight of the camp, and then just he just wasn't quite there. Now, Auden, I think, has got a chance to be a weapon for this team this year. Damian Willis just came in. I don't even want to say it was a splash. He just all of a sudden you look at him and go, this guy's pretty good. Well, and then the next day, this guy's pretty good. And it just built and built and built. It's also that thing where it's easier to look good in one-on-one drills or going right. up and making a play when it's like you're just doing drills well, as opposed to now you're in a system you got to remember everything on the fly while someone's hitting you. Yeah, And, that's and the, that just changes everything. No, and the other thing for people that go to those early camps and they see guys like the Damian Willis's, don't forget, for the first few days of camp, cornerbacks cannot put their hands on you. Right. So it's a whole different, it's a whole ball different game. Ball game when that happens. And so I think they wanted to see how did he do one eleven on elevens when they could do that in practice. Pretty good. All right, now let's see how he does it in the game. Pretty good. Let's see how when we put him up because they put him as a starter against the Giants. Let's see what happens when we put him up against number ones. Pretty good. Okay, tag your it, man. You earned it. And not only that, they said, hey, we're we're running, we're calling a play for him, and we don't care what the coverage right. is. Just throw the ball throw up, up and let him go get it. And guess what? He went and got it. Over Janoris despite, Jenkins. Despite being interfered with on the play. Yeah, it was a great catch. And I thought the catch on the fade for a touchdown was a great route was, and a great catch. It was a good catch. He just, the kids made plays. And I I do think it's a little refreshing, and, and it's also maybe alarming that that the talent level is to the point where you have an undrafted rookie starting at wide receiver and Trey Hopkins was an undrafted guy starting at center and Michael Jordan's a fourth-round pick rookie starting at left guard. And in a perfect world, maybe none of those happen because if A.J. Green is healthy, A.J. Green is starting over Damian Willis. In a perfect world, if Billy Price was fully healthy and maybe able to show what he could do, he's still starting at center. In a really perfect world, Jonah Williams is your left tackle, Cordy Glenn's your left guard, and Michael Jordan's learning the ropes still. So, again, I do like the fact that when they put these guys in competition, to their credit, it was, you played the best, you win. I I like that. And I know everybody talks about the whole politics game. I I don't think coaches play politics. I mean, this is a win-or-else business. Yeah, but I do think they err on the side of caution that if I start the undrafted guy and he's a failure over guys we took in the fourth round like Josh Malone or we took here like at center. If Trey Hopkins in game one is a disaster, the, the you know, the noise level has him snapping shotgun snaps before Andy Dalton's ready and it's all over the map. It's then why, you look stupid as the coach. Yes. And I, that's the refreshing part to me is this was. If this makes it, makes us look stupid, it, it, we don't care. We think these are the guys that earn the starting spots, and I like that. I do like that. I like that. I maybe more than anything like the fact that you guys walked into a press conference, 
Everyone's been so traumatized by dealing with Marvin Lewis that you don't even ask a direct question. People are just kind of like, hey, did you find anything else about your roster since the last preseason yeah, game? No. And he immediately offers up, yes, here is our starting lineup for the no, offensive I, I, line. I, I asked him about it. I, I said, have you made any decisions on your offensive line? And that's the funny part. He said, yep. And I told a couple of new guys who weren't there last year, I said, that's probably where Marvin would have ended. He might have even given me a yep and then would have smirked because you would have had to follow up of who. Well, that's for you to find out. Okay. I, this was like, yep. And here's who it is. Boom. Then Damian's Wills. Has Damian done enough to make the team? Well, he's not going to play in the fourth preseason game because he's, he's earned starting. a starting role. I mean, that, that Marv, that's exactly where Marvin would have gone. Oh, he's not going to play in the fourth preseason game. You guys would have been like, oh, wow, that was pretty forthcoming. And yeah. then Adam Schefter, two hours, would have tweeted, Damian Willis is going to start. start right. Right. I, I, I've told them it's extremely refreshing. I, I hope it continues. I mean, from my standpoint, I think, and even we asked him some direct questions about other guys in that press conference, and he kind of backpedaled on a couple of guys when we were asked directly, and it, it maybe is a kind of couch way of saying, eh, maybe that guy's not going to make the team. But at least there was an answer there. It wasn't, again, he tap dance around. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I, as a, I'm okay you with that. You don't need to tell us everything. Correct. If you're a coach who says, I'd, in fact, I think it was about Stanley Morgan. Is he going to play Thursday? I'd prefer not to answer that at this point. Okay, that's that's an answer. I can't tell you from a fan's perspective, though, just how, it, like, I'm back to reading everything about the Bengals now. Like, you put up a, a transcript of the press conference. I read the transcript of the press conference. it's good. Yes, because he's actually going to say something. I tuned out so much from, yeah. like, anything you guys got from press conferences and Marvin. Because we didn't get anything. Right. I'm not talking transcripts. I'm talking, I didn't even read stories yeah, after no, games. It, I just didn't care it was, anymore. It was frustrating. Because you already got a quarterback who doesn't say anything right. interesting ever. Right. So, I mean, with Marvin Lewis being the way he was, it was brutal. And I understand how the Patriots are, and they don't say anything, and they went. But guess what? They go to the Super Bowl every year. Yeah, you can so do that. If you're not going to go to the Super every year at least give us something to talk about and act like a normal human being once in a while i like that zach taylor's doing that second props to you on damian willis you called this the second you saw the guy about you, you were gaga over how good he was and you're like no i think really he's gonna make the team and i was like okay it'll be the exact same it always is with these last right. receivers no, I, like I, he'll be a practice squad guy and he'll look good in preseason right. then he'll get, get cut it. or he'll be the last guy on the roster that we never see again he's starting in I, week one crazy. That I mean, that's been it. And yes, there are guys injured. I understand all that. But like you said, there were guys who have impressed each of the last few preseasons and even made a player two once they got their opportunity during the regular season that he's passed up now. That's correct. And it, maybe it helps him the fact that everyone's in a new system. So they're all kind of starting from yeah, ground zero I, in that regard. I, I, I agree with that. But it's still a little shocking. And as much as you can look at it from the pessimistic standpoint, like you said, and go, well, it's a little disconcerting that he would jump to a starting position. With him and what he showed us this preseason and what you said from him immediately seeing him in practice, I'm more excited about him than anything because I look at him as like, he must have really showed them something because the natural instinct would be go the conservative route as a coach. Yes. Play the guy that everyone would play, the veteran who knows the most, been there the most. That's the logical, the, the safe, safe route. The safe play. And the fact that they're not doing that makes me really excited for what Damian Willis has shown them. So I, I do like that. I will say though, to me, it's Hopkins and Price just because, I mean, because that's more disconcerting to me. I am really concerned that they thought Trey Hopkins is going to be clearly the start over Billy Price. And I shouldn't say clearly because I think more I don't think of this might clear. be dangling the carrot I think, for Billy Price. I think there's a little bit of that. I think Billy is still dealing a little bit with that foot issue and he's just not quite there. But I got to tell you, I mean, if, if, you watch the, if they watch the six games of Trey on tape last year, I think they come away going, huh, pretty, pretty decent. Got a chance early in camp. Pretty decent. Got a chance in preseason games. Playing pretty decent. Billy kind of wasn't. I do think Billy is going to eventually get some starts again at some point. It's, it's just the natural way that the league works. But it is. I mean, you're talking about 
if you look at your last three drafts, your 2017 first-round pick just got back to practice, and we still don't know he can go the next day and pop a hamstring. Your 2018 first-round pick, I hate to say this way, got just got benched. I mean, he's still a key backup, and he's going to be one of the fifty or one of the forty-six on on game day Sunday. And your twenty nineteen first round draft pick you had shoulder surgery. That's that's tough. I mean, it, 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 honestly, it isn't. And some There's of that no way around saying. I mean, that that hurts you. You, you can't. And I don't want to say whiff because you haven't completely. But you can't have three first round picks in a row who going into the twenty nineteen starting game. You don't know if, what you're getting out of it. Well, you're Any not. You're getting anything out of Jonah Williams for sure. But and. Billy Price may not play, and we don't know what we're getting out of John Ross. That can't happen in this league, especially when you're a franchise. And I have agreed with their philosophy. Draft, retain, draft, retain. Have a plan for the future. They did that with the Obwehi draft. They thought, all right, we're going to take two tackles, because eventually, in another couple years, there are two tackles. You can argue their their scouting process and all those things, but they, they've, they've always had a plan of how to replace, that there's somebody always waiting in the wings. But you can't have that happen when three first-round guys in a row you're gonna you're getting nothing out of. Yeah, the only good thing or upside, and it's not really a good thing, maybe the upside there is that all three of those guys could theoretically produce by next year or yes, the year. Correct. They're, like, no, they're all that, still in play. That's exactly right. Flops that, yet. That's exactly right. But it is, it's not good. I mean, there's no doubt. <laughs> it's not good on paper going into the 2019 opener. We're not going to see the starters in this fourth game, but last thing on that offensive yeah. line is... Is this going to be a disaster in week one? We just we it still feels like we really don't know anything about the offensive line. I don't think we do either because um, we haven't seen Joe Mixon run behind it. He's carried one time in the preseason for three yards. And while I'm a big plug and play running back guy, I think running backs to some degree in the league are overrated. I really do. I think there's a lot of good running backs that you can. I mean, the whole Ezekiel Elliott thing to me. I think he's great, but honestly, I'd be happy to move on. I, I really on. would. I'd, I'd go get somebody else. Um, but we haven't seen that. We haven't really seen this group then blocked together for Joe Mixon. And we haven't seen them, and I believe this, and, and, and Zach Taylor made a point of it on Sunday. I mean, I made it, I think, after the game on Thursday, that they haven't shown everything in the running game. And when people were wondering, well, what does that mean? I mean, who knows? Are they going to pull a bunch of guys? Are they going to zone block every time? I mean, what, what are they going to do? And, and so we haven't seen any of that. We've seen just probably hat on a hat and let's, let's go from there. So we haven't seen any of that stuff yet. So, uh, you know, Michael Jordan is such a good athlete. I can't see them not using him, not using that athleticism in a major way in the run game. I, I It just feels like that's what, uh, initially I think they wanted to run a lot of power stuff with Cordy Glenn and, and Jonah Williams and Drew Sample the, the on, on, on a side and just say, here we come. Maybe that changes with Michael Jordan's athleticism a little bit. But we, I don't think we've seen the running game. So you're right, I don't know. And, and I don't even know if Seattle's a good litmus test because let's just say you get behind 14 nothing for whatever reason and then that place is going crazy and then you're playing catch up and then it just becomes an unmitigated disaster. And yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what to expect. I, I don't, and that sounds. I just I have no earthly idea what to expect from that offensive line. On paper, I got to tell you, on paper, if you if you're a realist, it doesn't look great. No, you don't like Bobby Hart. John Miller is it was a kind of a second rate signing, but he's at least been a starting guard in this league. As I mentioned, you have an undrafted guy starting at center. He earned it. You have a rookie starting at left guard, and Cordy Glenn's still in concussion protocol. And and again, who knows what you're getting there either. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's. Just, it, I wouldn't say it was a complete disaster in the preseason because the uh, the starters did move the ball some on the offensive end. I, I thought look, they did some nice things. How many times Andy Dalton got hit in the preseason? Once. Once. Yeah. One time he got hit in the preseason. And, and now some of that's by scheme. I feel like a lot of it was by scheme, and part of that's why I feel like we don't really know a lot about right. the offensive line because they were doing a lot of just dink and dunk, but, get rid of it quick. And but you know, you know what they rushed for the first team in the preseason? Ten yards. Twenty one yards on twelve carries. Yeah, I mean, it was nothing. Nothing. So we just don't know. And like you said, on paper, it does not look good. I am very concerned as a Bengals fan. 
Uh, but we'll just have to wait to find out, and that probably won't reveal itself in week one, as you pointed out. Yep. The Bengals do wrap up the preseason on Thursday night at 7 p.m. when they host the Indianapolis Colts in a game that can be seen live on Local 12. As is customary, none of the starters will play in this matchup. So I ask you, is there anything worth watching in the fourth preseason game? I mean, if you're a if you're a hardcore fan, there's still that battle at wide receiver. Um, Josh Malone's in that mix. Uh, Auden Tate, I'm assuming, is going to play. I think Auden's probably made this team already. He, he's got nicked up in that game and... and uh, hasn't practiced, didn't practice this week. He did work on the side, so I'm guessing he gets some snaps. So the wide receiver spot, I think the, the cornerback spot, at least depth-wise, is interesting. I thought Tony McRae had made this team, and then he got the start at nickel corner against the Giants and didn't play very well. And I still think Tony's in the mix because he's a good special teams player. Uh, I think Darius Phillips is probably taking a step, and then you got Devonta Harris, Kavari Russell's just coming back. Again, th- these are back-end roster spots we're talking about here, but if you're a fan and deep Deep-rooted fan. There's that the linebacker spot. I, I don't think they keep a sixth guy. I think they they keep the the main four, which is Pratt, Evans, Brown, Vigil, um, and probably uh, probably Hardy Nickerson. I think Malik Jefferson's the odd guy out, but there's a bunch. You know, there, there's a battle maybe there if they're going to keep a sixth of who that sixth is going to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's there's not a lot, but there, there there's something. Andrew Brown. I'm interested. I. It's funny, man. I I'm not so sure that that I don't dangle one of those defensive line pieces. And I'm not talking about a starting guy. I'm talking about like a Jordan Willis-ish guy for maybe some offensive line depth because they're going to wind up cutting at least one, maybe not two defensive linemen who can play. Andrew Brown, I think, can play. But Andrew Brown's going to have to have another really good game to show himself. Josh Tupo has played really good in the preseason. I I think he probably sticks. Um, but again, if you get to the numbers game and you're starting to look at special teams and all those things and you have to just cut from somewhere... Somebody on that defensive line that's really good, not really good, but good enough to play in this league, is going to get cut. So there, I think there's some roster battles, but again, I think that's for the hardcore fan. Yeah, but I mean, look, let's face it. Thursday night games at 7 p.m. are kind of the easiest ones to watch if hey, you're listen, an NFL this, fan. I don't want to tell people to turn away from Channel 12. I'm not going to tell you to do that, <laughs> right. and I'm going to be there covering the game. But if I was at home, I might flip to the Bengal game during UC-UCLA timeouts if I wasn't at the UC-UCLA game. I would hope. I'm just telling you. I'm just being truthful. I would hope that would be the case. But if people do want to be at Local 12 watching the game, I just wanted to hear if you had anything for them to pay attention to. I think the other thing to pay attention to is is the offensive line has a chance to just be an unmitigated disaster that night because you're not playing the starting five. I don't think you play the veteran Andre Smith. Um, I don't know if Billy plays or not. John Jerry might, but then you've got a bunch of ooh boys. And I mean ooh boys. I mean, they just signed a guy off the street on Tuesday or Monday to, to just to play in this game. Just to play in this game. And he may not even play in this game. I mean, he may be just, he, just a he, body. I think he makes the eighth lineman that, that will probably be available to play. So he is just a body, but man, oh man, Jake Dolagala, good luck, son. Yeah, I was just, I was really bummed in that. Last preseason game, we were all excited for Jeff Driscoll to be a wide receiver and special teams expert, and then he doesn't even play. I wonder this. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do surmise this. I wonder this. Jeff, he is dealing with a hamstring issue. That's why he, he didn't play in that game, and that's he didn't practice this week. Are they hiding him? That's what I, I'm wondering. They've if, got a secret weapon. They don't want to unleash well, him. No, or they put him on IR. And if and I'm just I'm just spitballing here. You put him on IR. You start the season with Finley and Dalton. Dalton in a worst case scenario, gets hurt in game two, and Finley has to get thrown in there as a rookie quarterback, and for whatever reason, he's an unmitigated disaster. You could bring Driscoll back after the eighth week and at least know, hey, the guy's got some starts under his belt, and or 
this experiment of him as special teams wide receiver guy, you kind of keep him on your roster this year. You start fresh when when basically next season begins in that role for him. I I really wonder that. I wonder let's that aloud. Let's stay on the latter bandwagon because I like the idea of special teams Driscoll I do a too. lot. I special, do too. Special teams contributor Driscoll as like uh, H-back in the red zone is really what I'm on I'm calling now. now that he goes on IR. I, I, I'm probably going to be wrong on that, but that's my call. All right. All right. I like it. Skinny sticking with the NFL and a shocking development Saturday night. Indianapolis Colts quarterback Andrew Luck announced his retirement, saying constant injuries have taken away his love for the game. Quote, I'm in pain. I'm still in pain, he said. It's been four years of this pain rehab cycle. It's a myriad of issues, calf strain, posterior ankle impingement, high ankle sprain. Part of my journey going forward will be figuring out how to feel better. This is not an easy decision. It's the hardest decision of my life, but it is the right decision for me. In addition to luck, we also saw Patriot star Rob Gronkowski retire this offseason, joining recent stars like Calvin Johnson and Patrick Willis just a handful of years ago who walked away from the game at an early age. My question is, do you see Andrew Luck retiring as a sign of a trend in the NFL, or is his situation a unique one? A trend to me is, is, is multiple people doing this. I don't see that, but I do see more guys doing this, and I understand it. I'll, if Listen, for those of you who listen to this podcast, if you don't believe me about anything else, believe me when I tell you this. You have no idea how much these guys get beat up. You really, you, it is, it is insane the amount of punishment that these guys go through. And I, I know it's easy to look at Tyler Eifert and go, oh, he's glass and he's soft and he's fragile and he's this. The guy's gotten hurt. Okay. He's gotten hurt. He's had his body cut on multiple times. You think that feels good? You think it feels good to come back from that? And then after you've come back from that, get banged around again, and yeah, he's making a pretty piece of change. I know you would like to make the piece of change. I'd like to make the piece of change too. But once you've made the money that Andrew Luck has made, and you don't need, I mean, the again, I wish I could even, I can't even put into words how how much these guys go through. And I'm not asking you to feel sorry for them. They have, some of them have won. And the, neither are they. Some of them have won the genetic lottery, okay? So good for them. And they've, they've made a good piece of change off of this. But that doesn't take away from the fact that they're still beat up, and some of them beat up more than others. And in this case, Andrew Luck has been beat up, and and so and he's got the financial wherewithal to say nothing. That's that's his decision. It's not. It, 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 he doesn't. He doesn't need to care what you think of that decision. I know he does because he took it very personal. But I, look, I, I get it. If you've made your coin, if you've got that second contract, which is where you usually get your money, and after that second contract's over and you're 29, 30 years old, and maybe they're getting ready to thrust you some more money and you just say, you know what, I don't care about the money anymore. I got enough. I'm done. Then I see some more guys doing this at a younger age. Yes. Andrew Luck was a guy who was in the engineering department at Stanford. Correct. And playing football. Um <laughs> He is not a guy who needs football. He never was. Correct. He could have been rich doing anything. He not got, rich like this. And this is you gotta admit, this is stupid rich though. Of I'm, course, of right. course. But he did the years of getting stupid rich from this. And apparently the joy's been zapped from him. I don't think it was a situation where he didn't love the game. Because if you get to this point, if you get to the NFL period, you had to absolutely love the game. Yes. Football is not a game. To, to a certain extent, I think like basketball and baseball are sports where if you are just a total genetic lottery winner, you are just freakishly gifted, you can kind of play it without loving it. Mm -hmm. I think we've seen that with Adam Dunn as yeah, a good example right. of a guy who I think no. didn't really love baseball, but he was just so damn good. strong. Yeah, I'm good at it. He get the ball a mile. I think we've seen that with other guys in, in, in those sports. Football, though, because of the commitment physically that you have to give from the time you're a little kid practicing five days a week. 
it, you have to love it. You have to have an extraordinary amount of passion for it. And then to be injured the way he was and keep coming back, you have to keep that passion. I don't think it's like people saying that he didn't love the game or he doesn't love the game. I don't think that's, that's accurate I think at all. It's absolutely insane. To I say do that. think if you're a guy who has been a genetic lottery winner and has been the best football player in your class across the entire country ever since you were a little kid, all the way through college and into the NFL, it probably does suck when you went from being awesome all the time to now you're constantly injured. And every time when you get back on the field, you're not quite as good as you used to be anymore. I mean, let's go down to some Bengals real quick. Andy Dalton's gotten hurt, what, two of the last four years. So he suffered broken bones. Joe Mixon had knee surgery last year and missed a couple games. Giovanni Bernard's had a couple of knee surgeries. A.J. Green's now on, what, his third fairly significant injury, right? Um, Tyler Eifert, we just discussed. Uh, John Ross has had some, some, some injuries. I mean, I'm going almost right down the board. I mean, this game, everybody gets hurt, and, and we all, all we see is the end result on Sunday, and I get it as a fan, because that's all you do see, right? You don't see all the crap they've had to go through to come back, and again, if you look at it from a human perspective, I don't know how many surgery you've had in your lifetime, I've had, I've had none, knock on wood, okay, I've had none, so I feel very fortunate in that regard, I've broken a couple of bones, but I've not had surgery in my lifetime, I can't imagine somebody cutting on my body, and then me just making the commitment to say, All right, "I'm coming back and I'm, I'm going to do this again." And I know I'm probably going to get hurt again, but I'm going to do it again. And I, look again, the money factors in, so you do it a few times. But after a few times, and to the point where you're looking around the rest of your body, you can't get up, you can't move. You know, you know how are 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 blessed with more knowledge than than past generations about where this goes. And I think that's the other part that factors in. I think this is Andrew Luck's in kind of that first wave of a generation that honestly knows where this winds up for some people with you know major head trauma that 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 leads to suicide in some cases with body parts that at 50 years old 50 years I'm 55 years old and I feel great I do I feel great nothing when I get up in the morning creaks nothing aches I feel great I can't imagine these guys at 35 30 28 getting out of bed hard time sometimes it's a hard time just to do that that's the part I, I hope fans understand and and I, I, I get that you don't because you only see the product on Sunday and from afar in the stands. I don't think you get the physicality of it. I don't. Um, it, it, man, it's a it's a car wreck. It's a freaking car wreck, man. Yeah, and I think it's just it is hard to understand for people. I don't think you need to understand. First of all, like it's to, to me, it's totally logical for someone to just be like, hey. I'm at a different point in my life. I want to do something different. Maybe it's not about money. Maybe it is like, maybe I have enough money to where it never mattered. Or maybe it's just not about money. It's just about being happy. Like people do stuff like this all the time in all walks of life. It's yeah. not just a football thing. Now, going back to the original way we framed this of, is yeah. it a trend or not? I don't, I think the last point you made is the most poignant of all that there is more knowledge now. Mm-hmm. There, and it is more of like, People always like millennial or whatever. I I don't want to get into that. Whatever stuff, the like, generation yeah, is. In terms of the age thing, the last however many years, 10, 20 years, there is definitely one, a movement towards it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to talk about, you know, I'm hurt or I'm mentally not okay or whatever. That's a big thing now. Whereas in football 20 years ago, oh, you wouldn't have thought guy. about oh, it. Oh, not a chance. You wouldn't have thought about it. You would have been called all types of names. Yep. So that's a big difference. And then also just the knowledge of what it's doing to their heads and everything else. And in this case, it's not a CTE situation with Andrew Luck. Like, we've seen it with some other guys where it's like, hey, if you get hit in the head again, you won't be right. Yeah. Like, you just need to stop. That's not the case with Andrew Luck. It's more of just a, like, I'm tired of doing this. It's zapped my, my joy for it. So his situation is a little different. But I also think people forget that 
He's not the first to do it. And it's not just like a new thing with these guys recently. I think there will be a few more going forward. Like the percentage will raise a little bit. But I think for the most part, there's always been these guys that realized that Barry Sanders decided he just didn't want to do it. Tiki Barber realized he just didn't want to do it anymore. He did it the year before the Giants won the Super Bowl. Right. He retired after 2006. They won it in 2007. Think about that. He knew he had a great team and he had just had the three best years of his career. And then he retired because he wanted to do TV. Yep. He just knew he had a way out. Another career. Like, I'm sure Andrew Luck already has multiple businesses he's been working on with all the money and, yeah, and I'm brains sure he, he has. And he, and he doesn't need it. But yeah, I think, right. again, he's got plenty of more life to do something else with his life and he will do something instructive with it. But by the way, Earl Campbell, Lynn Swan, oh, Gail heavens. Sayers, Jim Brown. This isn't new. It goes back to the 60s. Guys have been leaving before they're 31 well, or 32. But, but Gail, yeah, in the case of Gail Sayers, though, I mean, that was before you knew how to reconstruct knees, and he just had no chance for it. Earl Campbell just took a freaking beating over the years. But your point, I, sure, I get But point. all of these guys, and, and yeah, you're right. To a certain extent, some of them, they, they weren't able to come back and be even yeah. close to the same player because of modern medicine wasn't there yet. But all of these are sort of the same idea that they were pretty damn good right when they retired. They were still very young and injuries played somewhat of a role but weren't necessarily like it wasn't a CTE thing where it's like you're not allowed to play anymore. They made the decision on their own. It's not a new thing and I don't think it's going to increase tenfold because a lot of these guys are going to look at it and say I have $120 million still or $150 million or whatever it was that Andrew Luck just left on his contract. I'm going to go ahead and cash out on that. I'm going to take that money. I think some guys will do that but I think think you'll have more than you think. I don't think a trend trend to me is a big number. I don't think trend but I think it's more than you think it's going to be too. I mean, but I think it also, you got to factor in whether they're a star or not, right? Like, because there are some guys on the fringe who have been doing this and we don't talk about them anymore. This made such headlines because Andrew Luck is a star and a guy that we thought was going to be like top five player in football a few years ago. Walked away from a potential Super Bowl team, right? I mean, that's the other part too. So, I mean, there's a lot of those things that factored into it. All right, skinny. Carly Lloyd has been offered the chance to make history by becoming the first woman to play in a National Football League preseason game, her trainer James Galanis told Fox Sports on Monday. Quote, today she got another call from another NFL team. By the way, slid in another NFL team, know, so this is not that? the first one. The one that called today, I don't want to say who it is, was willing to put her on the roster for their next game. They were willing to put her on the roster. She was told she could play on Thursday, the NFL game, but she's playing Thursday with the Nationals team, so that was the conflict. Skinny, do you think this is a PR stunt, or do you think we might see Carly Lloyd or other women's soccer players kicking in NFL games in the future? I think it's both. I mean, the Thursday, this last preseason game is the joke game that nobody attends, right? Right. If Carly Lloyd's on that roster... People I are th- showing up. Think it makes, well, at least makes it interesting, right? Yes. It, it makes it very interesting. And that's why it seems an awful lot like a PR stunt. But I would say this, though. If Carly Lloyd goes to an NFL camp or any other female soccer player, or female in general, goes to a camp and outkicks the person that they're kicking with, good for them. I mean, honestly, good for them. Look, if Carly Lloyd goes to Eagles camp, which is what she did, and she made a couple field goals or whatever and and showed off, if she goes there and outkicks the person there, as a coach, I'm going to look and go, sign her up, man. She doesn't miss. I'm taking her. She's going to help us win a game. It's like anything else. So I do think this was a PR stunt. Final preseason game. You know, that NFL team's not stupid, but they realize, hey, let's just jazz this up some way. Let's bring Carly Lloyd in. She's, you know, coming off of that, that part was the PR stunt. But I, I, I don't discount the fact that Carly Lloyd, if she's good enough, could kick in the NFL or any other female. If they show they're good enough, they're going to play. It, it would have been kind of cool to see her even in the preseason game. That didn't mean anything. Um, but I don't think it, it mattered or would have done anything. Like, I don't think there's any gender equality that's going to ha- come from that. No, no one's going to look at that and be impressed or say, oh, this is going to open the door for other women to do 
great things in sports or anything like that, or even help them with their pay gap or anything like that. However, if they would have done this like and been legitimate about signing her, that becomes really interesting. I mean, I do think that changes some things in our country just in general, the way we view a lot of different things. If a woman is out there on Sundays kicking in NFL games that matter, a I, regular I, season I'll game. I'll be honest, I don't see why not if they're good. I mean, if, if they're, again, if you're good enough, so, they're, they're going to do it. And that's where the question also is kind of a sidebar here where it gets interesting. So Carly Lloyd comes into practice and she kicks some 55-yard field goals. Well, I'm going to say she's probably not the only women's professional soccer player that has a strong leg that can do that. And also, I would imagine there are probably a ton of men's soccer players that can do the same thing. So is the NFL missing? Because like soccer money, especially like if we're talking about MLS guys, I'm not talking about Messi or some of the biggest stars in EPL. I'm talking about like a local soccer player who just has an absolute boot. Is the NFL missing out on trying to no. find those types of guys? No, I, I think or? they do that. No, I mean, Jonathan Brown, who, who was uh, in Bengals camp last year, and I think, and, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head, I believe he's in Chargers camp now. The Chargers have an incumbent kicker. I think that's where he is. Jonathan Brown was a soccer player in college. The only thing he did football-wise is he kicked off at L. But he 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 had showed a strong enough leg to let's let's give this a try. Because right. the I would say the mechanics of, of kicking in the NFL are, are also different than when it's a live rush versus it's just a holder, a snapper, and you kicking a whole different ball game. You're just kicking. The other way is there's a, there's a timing mechanism to it, and they're coming at you, and they're trying to block it, and they're trying to to disrupt you. All those things. There's a, the, the, and the pressure of it. There's that, just the nerves. Yeah, yeah and that, it's, it's a lot. It's a whole lot different. But no, I. Well, that's I, where I was. Let's go to the nerves thing real yeah. quick because I was going to wonder: is that where Carly Lloyd separates from those other maybe just random maybe. soccer players? Are they looking at her like she's been on the biggest stages in the world? So maybe. let's I mean, take the, a serious look at her. The first record was it like a like you like the kid that, that had the viral video was look the kid through 96 i don't know what else he can do but at least he's got that the, the requisite for carly lloyd is she's got a strong enough leg to do this um and i think if anybody i mean if you held an open tryout and you saw a bunch of strong legs i think you'd take a look at them i, I really do i think a bunch of uh, i guess my point is i think a I mean, bunch kickers, of people can kick a 55 yard the, the one thing i'll tell you today is is the kick kickers in the nfl really good i mean yes. look, they're really really good man it's now you're disappointed when your guy misses from anywhere i mean literally anywhere i think i think kickers in the nfl are all pretty similar honestly like there's a couple elite guys yeah, that are like the he's, not, he's not similar to anybody right and but like other than that i think pretty much from like maybe team six like kicker six through 32 they're all pretty similar it's just well, a matter of who has confidence and is the best yes. mental space and i think that's why you see a lot of guys like mike nugent Played for about five or six different teams. I think some of it was, look, it became really mental for him here. Neil he Rackers might be the best example yes, of that ever. Yes. He was so got off with the Bengals before he left, and then he turned into the best kicker in the NFL for like two years. And I, and I think you see, that's why a lot of these kickers go to two, three, four, five teams. Teams know, maybe it's just change of scenery. He's and when they get it. And then when they yeah. get hot, well, okay, man, this guy's got his confidence back. He's good for us. And then at some point when they lose, like Chris Boswell in Pittsburgh, and they signed him to a pretty good piece of change, but last year he was a disaster. The year before, the guy was a dude. That's why they signed him for good money. So... I think that's why you see. I think you're right. I think it's 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 a very tight window of guys that hey, change of scenery, he's going to be fine. It, you know, but he just needs a change of scenery. So I, yeah. I think you're right on that. And my guess is there's probably a bunch more people out there with the strong leg. Like I'm not saying like everyone in the world can do it, but I'm saying if we're talking about soccer players, so people who are gifted like with a very strong leg yes. already. My guess is there's a bunch of them that kick a 55 yard field goal. The difference is can you do it with, with people pressure. flying at you in, yes. in football conditions? And that's what we don't know about Carly Lloyd either. No. And that's why it feels to me like this. Was a PR stunt. It was a complete PR stunt for the that, last preseason game. No, that's my point. It was a complete PR stunt. Yeah. That being said, if she wants to try this and a team wants to sign her, 
if they want to do it for a power to regular you. season game, I'm interested. If it's the fourth preseason game, I don't know if I even really you, want to see it. You, yeah, you would have. Yeah, you would have. You would have watched. I already said I don't, I'd watch. I don't, I don't care. You wouldn't buy. If you're if she's she's playing cool. for the team in your town, I don't think it's going to make you buy a ticket to go watch. But you're going to watch. I'd be. I'd be like it. it I, I just I said before we even started it'd be cool and I would watch but it would annoy me a little and, and bit because it'd just be like here, you're just doing this here, here's just the other thing for people to watch you not to be a jerkwad about this but I will you know that if she ever does if any if, if, let's just we have the first female kicker Susie Doe is the first female kicker you know that the other team on a kickoff who you think they're going to block when when they kick off. They're going after her. You think? Oh, absolutely. I think everyone would be scared to do her. No, 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 I think it'd be the exact opposite of welcome to our league, sister. Welcome See, to I, our game. I don't think that would be the case. Oh, could I don't you, know. Could you imagine her, though, if, if someone got on breakaway, she came out and slide, slide tackle well, that's what I know. That, that would be unbelievable that, 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 would be, that would be kind of cool. But you get called for tripping. You'd say the touchdown, which, but you get called for tripping. What's Hope Solo doing right now? That's a good question. Can we... Can, the Bengals get her on line one? Act, not only act, can act, she act, kick, act, I guarantee you she can special teams tackle. Dude, I was going to say, she might be able to play right guard. <laughs> She's bad. Safety. She's bad. Oh, All right, Skinny. We'll finish off with this little college basketball recruiting story. New Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman has started an interesting trend in the world of college basketball. The former Nevada coach made some waves over the weekend after taking a picture with 2020 point guard K.K. Robinson while Robinson was on a visit to Fayetteville. In the picture, Robinson and Musselman were both dressed in Arkansas jerseys, which was kind of unusual to start. But then Robinson was playing the role of Allen Iverson and Musselman playing the role of Tyron Lue as they recreated the famous jumper and step over play from game one of the 2001 NBA Finals. Musselman has recreated other famous scenes with recruits, including the LeBron James and Dwayne Wade dunk picture from when they were with the Heat. My question is, do you think Eric Musselman recreating the Tyron Lue and Allen Iverson moment with a recruit is a good strategy for him? I think it's a douchebag move, but I do think it's a good strategy because kids love, you know, they you know they got to love that stuff, right? Oh, yes. The the social media and the recreating scenes, I'm all on board with. I, I do think like that's the fact brilliant. that Eric Musselman was smart enough to play the role of, of, of the other side of the ball. See, that's where I draw the line. I don't know... Now, I will say, full disclosure, I heard an interview with Eric Musselman because Barstool Radio was making fun of him for this and brought him on air to talk about it. And he owned it completely. And he was saying, like, they they were saying, how far does this go? Like, are you going to get choked out by Latrell Sprewell? Yeah, like, we don't, how, <laughs> how far do you want to keep putting yourself in these positions? Because being Tyron Lue and letting a recruit put his manhood right in your face as he steps over you to take a picture is an interesting role as the head basketball coach. Like, it's a weird thing to do. It's a weird t- picture to take and be like, this is how we're trying to get you. Couldn't you get a grad assistant to have done that, played that role instead? That's my point. Yeah. Maybe. That's what I would have, I would have been like, you know, hey, hey, Bobby, come here. Yeah. We got a, we got a job for you. Like putting on the jersey, it's one thing. I get it. It's All fun right. to do with the kids. Being Tyron Lue getting Allen Iverson's nuts in your don't, face don't is that, a little bit different. Yeah, the only thing I would tell you is this, is, is if he thinks that helps him get a kid, I guess good for you. I think it's kind of douchey, to be honest with you, but okay. He does think it helps him, clearly, because he's doing it, and he's willing to go even farther, apparently, uh, according to the interview. <laughs> uh, I, just heard. I will say, I like Musselman. He is a wild man. I think he gets kind of what it's all about and has fun with it. I think he uh, is willing to win. I liked his Nevada too. teams. I, I thought they're they're still, they, they, they were fun. They were a lot of fun to watch. I know not for UC fans a couple years ago, but just as a basketball fan, I just they all were the same guy. They just kind of all played the same. They played loose. I, I really, I, I thought he did a great job what's the uh what's the best moment that they could recreate do you think the the player versus coach moment or it doesn't have to be player versus coach because uh, obviously Musselman was Tyron Lewin this would be I'll tell you what would be an easy one is the is the Jordan Craig Elo I mean it wouldn't be hard to go flying on by right you could easily fly by a kid jumping at, if a kid jumped at me right now and I jumped 
at him. I'm not close to hanging in there long enough. I can do the yeah. Craig Elo fly, flyby. So the yeah. recruit doesn't have to be Jordan Esk and hang there for five years and hit that jump shot. <laughs> or the, I, I could do that or one. Byron Russell getting shoved off by Jordan. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. would be a good one. Yeah, the too. one in Utah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I could be that guy. Just go, hey, don't hit me hard. Just give me a slight shove and then take the step back and hit it and I'll fall down and you'll make the shot. Yeah. I did like on Barstool, they were talking about uh, they brought up Latrell Sprewell and also the Malice in the Palace. I did think both of those Man, would be good ones to have to. Well, I mean, he just asked the recruit, what is your favorite basketball moment? And then they recreate it. What if the kid's like, yeah, remember when Ron Artest was decking people? <laughs> remember when Meta World Peace was Ron Artest and decking people? <laughs> yeah, I do like that. Uh, I, I think it's um, an interesting strategy, to say the least. I don't know that that one's going to catch on. I was going to say, though, if you get the kid out of it, it worked. Do you like this better or the uh, dads on football visits dressing up in pads and jerseys and yeah, shooting I, sleeves? I don't like that at all. Yeah, no, thank you. No, 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 no. That's that's, that's not going to fly. Are, are kids, uh, grade school kids going to Beachwood now going to be taking pictures with Coach Skinny? <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm going to recreate all these moves. Yeah, I'll, I'll look good in a tank top these days, too. Oh, man. That's the thing about Musselman. It, he's a little thin to be doing that. Like, he's in good shape, yeah. but you got to have some guns still I'd, to be wearing a jersey. I'd have to wear the T-shirt under the... under the. He did. Under the... Okay, so oh, he, he did. did okay. And it still looked it still looked not, not good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, not a good look. There you go. Hey, our thanks today to uh, Kyle Tucker from The Athletic. Got some great stuff about the University of Kentucky, which opens this weekend. Of course, Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal checking in on uh, UC and UCLA. Next week, the Bengals open in Seattle. We'll talk about that and much, much more. College football weekend number two will be upon us. A big game, of course, UC and Ohio State. So that's on next week's program. So we hope you stay tuned. Thanks for being with us. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the Popery Edition, presented by Joseph Chevrolet.